A Sports Fix Tuesday coming up here next. Quick word about Window Nation. 50% off all windows right now and deferred payments for two years with no interest. You can't go wrong if you're thinking about new windows. WindowNation.com. Mention my name. 866-90-NATION. Mention my name. They will take good care of you. You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yep, A Sports Fix Tuesday. Uh, Tommy by phone. I'm in studio. Uh, Lots to get to today, uh, Tommy, including this story involving the owner of the Washington football team and one of the minority owners, potentially, of the Washington football team. We're going to get into that in great detail here coming up. Lots of other things to get to uh, as well. But how you doing? I know you've got a visitor in town with you. I'm doing great. You know, yesterday, you know, my granddaughter is visiting us. I know she my is. As you get, yes, as you're is. ready for your beach trip next week. Yes, yeah, she's visiting us, and that's been quite the experience. <laughs> uh, is it tiring? Know, they, they, well, they, you know, they have this age group called preteen. You know, yeah. Well, she's pre. Well, she's pre Taliban. Okay. <laughs> Come on. I mean, an attitude, a, a six-foot attitude. Well, you know what? That's good. She's confident, and she she, did, she probably got that a little bit from her granddad. Maybe, maybe. But uh, yesterday, we met some friends up in up near Carlisle at a state park, Pine Grove Furnace State Park, and uh, they went kayaking in this lake at the state park. So we took her up there and. She went kayaking with them. Did you get and into the kayak? No. No, I did not. You watched however, from the shore? However, I, I, I have canoed many times. Mm-hmm. Okay. When was the last I time canoe, you canoed? To, uh, probably about 10 years ago. Mm. Really? I mean, I've canoed, I used to be in a canoe race every year uh, up in the Poconos, which was kind of funny. But... Uh, but so, but no, I didn't get. I've never been in a kayak. I didn't get in this. But uh, so we had a nice day yesterday, and that's the that's the. Yesterday was the biggest social interaction we've had since March. Wow, but it was outdoors. It was outdoors, all outdoors. Right. So, yeah. are you? Are you enjoying, like, do you get up with her in the morning, or does Liz get up? How, how does this work? Do you make breakfast? Get up, get up with her. At 11 o'clock, I have to go in and shake her out of the bed. Ah, that's even better, actually. Get, get up with her. <laughs> I have oh. to go in and, and threaten to do horrible things to get her up. That's funny. God, wouldn't it be... I, I mean... Uh, there, there are occasions at home when um, one of my three, you know, it'll be one o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday or Sunday, and he's still sound asleep. Now he didn't get in until four thirty five a.m. Right. The, the morning, I reckon, the morning I recognize of. That. Um, and your kids, your kids are grown up. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, they're not kids. Right. I mean, they're making their own decisions. Right. So. Uh, and I can certainly appreciate that, but uh, what's your biggest you know, influence to... over her? What does she look to? What does she call you? Grandpa Tom. 
Grandpa Tom. What is yeah. what is she? Um, what are you trying to 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 teach her? What are you trying? How, where's your influence right now? Oh, absolutely nothing. I'm not trying to teach her anything. I'm just trying to survive. Just get in and get out. But are you? No, en- no, no, do you no, no, enjoy no. it? Do you enjoy being a grandfather? I don't enjoy it as much as other people do. <laughs> That's so great how honest you are. That is really great. I don't enjoy it as much as you know, other I've, people I've do. Been, I've been through this one. I'm not particularly look. I wasn't looking to do it again. You know, but I'll go along for the ride. Do you think that part of that, and I'm being serious here, I know you pretty well. Do you think that part of that is you, um, you know, you portray go along to get along, but really you are very much entrenched in your ways, in your routine, and and anything that gets in the way of sort of breaking that routine up and influencing that or get, it, it, that that's a problem for you yeah but you see this is what you don't know about me i can reverse that as long as i am mentally prepared to do so like for the 3 weeks she's here i mean even before she came i was mentally committed to whatever i wanted to do whatever my routine is is secondary to her right so I'm, I'm I'm fine with that because I knew it was coming. I'm mentally prepared for it. It's not a surprise. So I can put aside the, the quirky little things that I may do. You know, I mean, like You're we watched uh, Flash last night. Right. This 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 series about the superhero. We got in that big argument the first night yes. he was here. Right. Who was the better superhero, the Hulk or Flash? But uh, so you know, I wouldn't normally watch that. I'd be probably watching Blue Bloods or Law and Order or something like that. So I've, I've, I'm mentally accommodated to basically making her time, I mean, to, to you know, accommodating her time here. So I, I, can, I can be, I can be selfless when there's a gun put to my head. <laughs> okay. Very good. Uh, I would assume that your wife is enjoying the, uh, being a grandmother more than you're en- you're enjoying being yes. a grandfather. Yeah. Yes, she's absolutely. A, she's a bit more normal than you are. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, boy, we've got some stuff to get to today, including this wild story involving the owner of the Washington football team. There are a couple of things first before we get to this, because this is going to take some time to uh, unravel or uh, really uh, unfurl and, and, and diagnose. But um, you sent me something the other day with a, a video, a YouTube video from 1982. It's a, <laughs> it's a questioning and a trial of Russell Buffalino, the famous... It's a hearing. It's a, it's hearing. a hearing. Famous mobster. Com- Pennsylvania Crime Commission hearing. Famous mobster. Um, as we know, if you saw The Irishman, I thought it was a great movie. Um, yes. And you, you had Russell Buffalino and you had Ed Sharon, who was the hitman, the paid hitman. And he was being. Frank Sharon. Frank Sharon. Frank I'm sorry. Sharon. Frank Sharon. Yes. Uh, Ed Sharon would be the singer. Um, singer yeah. And that hearing, in which he's being asked questions about how long he's known. Sheeran and how long he's known. Um, uh, there were a couple of other people he was asking. Uh, he's getting uh, questions asked about. There you are in 1982, front row, right just to the 
back right side of Buffalino as he's being asked questions. That was awesome. Fully bearded. Yeah, he could have reached out and touched me. Could've, That's how close we were. You, you were so you were writing for at that point. Was that Strasburg? That was the Eastern Pennsylvania Express. The Eastern Express. I was writing. <laughs> that was. Uh, and I had kind of carved out my own beat covering organized crime at the at the paper while I was there. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you, you stole the seating chart at that at mob get yes. get together, which included you know Russell Buffalino. Um, yes, yes, which was for Russell Buffalino, and whose name on the on the seating chart included Frank Sheeran. Right, yeah. uh, Jimmy. So the, one of the, the the questions that that the, it, it actually I think where he was answering or not answering questions was all about his relationship more so with with Jimmy Hoffa than Frank Sharon, I think, um, in, yes. in watching that. But um, there was a quick glimpse of Tommy. Tommy fully bearded in a suit, uh, slimmed down and looking good in 1982. Young, young, <laughs> you know, eager reporter covering a mob hearing. That was outstanding. Had you stolen the uh, the, the list yet at that point? The seating I chart. I think I had. I had stolen the seating chart by that point. <laughs> I'd have to double check the dates. That was great. I think I had already done that at, at, at that point. And I mean, you know. The, those guys, except for a couple of agents, never didn't really know I had that. Not that it would have made any difference one way or the other. Although it might have made difference. You know, this might have made a difference years later. Years later, uh, when they were putting casinos in Pennsylvania, uh, they put one. You ever hear of Mount Airy Lodge? In where? In Maryland? And, no, no. Mount Airy Lodge was a big resort in the Poconos. No. And they used to advertise no. on the New York stations all the time. Okay. It's a huge resort. And it was turned into a casino. It was bought by this guy named Lou the Naples, uh, who was uh, who owned a uh, huge uh, auto uh, graveyards up in uh, Scranton. You know, uh, used auto parts and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, there were always questions about his relationship with organized crime figures, and particularly Russell Buffalino. And there were hearings about, you know, whether or not they should give him a license for the casino, and uh, they denied, uh, I mean, they downplayed or denied uh, his relationship with Buffalino. Well, on that seating chart, written in one of the tables, <laughs> is Lewis today. <laughs> yeah, right. So. That's funny. Uh, that had to be a fun time for you. Were you at, at any point in covering some of that stuff? Um, were you, I I mean, you've discussed some various incidents, you know, that you were, you know, uh, involved in, but did you ever fear for your safety in covering any of these stories? Not then. I mean, not ever. Uh, not with those, not, not with those situations. I've been in dicey situations that had nothing to do with mobsters before. You know, you get some angry people. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and you, you know, nobody likes to be questioned in a bar. Let me just tell you that. <laughs> nobody likes a reporter walking around a bar asking questions, no matter where you are. Uh, but, no, I never felt that because, for the most part, I mean, look back, uh, you know, 
you don't have a lot of instances of reporters being attacked by mobsters. I mean, for one thing, they, they don't they don't think reporters have that much power. And the other thing, some of them like like seeing their names in the paper. Yeah, right. You've told me that before. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A um, couple of things real quickly before we get to the Snyder story. Did you see um, Redskins or Washington football team social media announced that they had hashtagged 1932 as their official hashtag to replace HTTR? Did, did you see that over the weekend? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, um, I did. That was Natinals like. It was Natinals like. It was. Um, the uh, the hashtag nineteen thirty two apparently Twitter doesn't allow you to hashtag numbers and they put out essentially for all intents and purposes a borderline press release announcing that the Washington football team's new hashtag instead of HTTR would be nineteen thirty two which is the year in which the football team was established in Boston not here um, right. and they were quickly told that uh, you can't hashtag numbers. Um, now, that was a valuable moment for Washington football fans. Just a little jolt, just a little jolt, a little reminder uh, for everyone all caught up in the sweeping changes that nothing really changes. You know, there is the, you know, the London Flector and the, you know, putting um, Theismann and Doug Williams on the wrong sides of the Super Bowls they won on tickets. Um there's a, there's an attention to detail that the best companies, the best organizations tend to have, uh, and this one's never had it. Um, and I think that right now, you know, they're they're still in react mode to losing the team name and having to scramble here to put everything together together. But I thought I thought that was um, pretty typical. Um, the other thing too is that uh, you know they they. They retweeted the other day um, a message from a fan about the team's new nickname next year if they ever get to that. And this seemed to be an indication to a lot of fans that they are going in the direction of Red Wolves. The Washington football team on its Twitter account yesterday put out a letter from Sarah and Herndon who wrote, Once I saw it, I fell in love. I really love the idea of the Washington Red Wolves. I've been a fan of this team since I was born, so that is over 26 years. And my dad's been a season ticket holder for a while. Can't wait for what's next, exclamation point. Well, all of uh, one of my sons and all of the younger fans in particular went wild because, you know, Red Wolves is the favorite of Twitter. Uh, there's no doubt that people want red, the young, the younger demographic, and the people who are uh, communicating primarily in life via social media. Um, they want Red Wolves. I personally think it sounds like a kid's youth basketball team, but I don't care really either. I don't really care how they end up in, where this ends up. I'd prefer that they just continue to brand Washington, um, but however it plays out is fine. Um, but uh, this was a, a big, big thing yesterday on social media. Uh, my son told me that people, uh, people, the fans that want Red Wolves were going nuts because this was an indication that the team was acknowledging that they hear them, that they hear that Red Wolves is the name uh, that they really, really want. So we'll see. Uh, that we're a year away from that. Um, Darius Geis happened <clears throat> while we uh since we last did a show <laughs> so i think we should start there and then we'll get to the snyder story 
Um, so Dar- Darius Geis, most of you now know uh, that Darius Geis was arrested on Friday and the team immediately <clears throat> released him um, after he was arrested on four different counts. One was a felony count for strangulation. Uh, TMZ really broke down the, uh, the, the charges pretty well um, yesterday, uh, actually, uh, d- d- uh, describing everything that ha- had happened with his girlfriend in three different incidents. Um, I was totally, w- when I first saw the guys arrest Tommy, first thing I thought of, was they're going to cut him. But in part because I have said for a couple of months that he's got a lot to prove because this is a culture change, and I'm not so sure he's Ron Rivera's type of guy, that he's a very immature guy. And I'd, I'd heard a lot of stories, not about this stuff, about what he was arrested for, but I think 100% they did the right thing by cutting him loose right now, even though there is a presumption of innocence in this country, even though it's very possible that charges could be dropped or it could go to court and he could be found innocent. This franchise, in this league, by the way, this was an absolute given that they had to cut their ties with him immediately. You agree, right? Yes. Look, like I've always said, uh, the most important question the owner of a football team or any sports franchise should ask himself every day is what's the most important thing for the franchise? What's the most important thing for the organization? And the most important thing for this franchise when it came to this was to cut ties with Darius Geis. In the larger picture, that's the only move you could really make. You know, Darius Geis may wind up through some circumstances, you know, being innocent of charges and, you know, basically, you know, being, uh, you know, I hate to use the word victim, but, but being a casualty of this, but you can't let that come into play anymore. You know, this is, you know, you're not running a country. You're running a football team. You're running a business. We're running a business here, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, some guys, you know, constitutional rights uh, for somebody who hasn't earned any goodwill. In other words, like you could come off. Let's say you had a guy who'd been with the organization five or six years. Well, to take Ryan Kerrigan, ten years. Right. Yeah. I mean, that guy has earned so much goodwill. He's going to get the benefit of every doubt. You know, but you have to you have to build that up. You know, you. you and he had he had no reservoir of that whatsoever. And I think beyond that, there was actually, you know, um, I think that there were, uh, with this new group, with, with Ron Rivera's group, uh, a, a feeling of he had a lot to prove to them between now and September anyway. Uh, I think that there were immaturity issues. You know, some of what's been reported since Friday, Carolina took him off their draft board. He was not a draftable player for the Panthers when Ron Rivera was in Carolina. Now, Rivera wasn't the GM. Uh, I think Marty Herney was. I don't think it was Gettleman that year. Um, but uh, the, the Geis was probably off many boards because of questions about many things, injury history, mature. 
maturity, etc. I've been hearing for several months about maturity. We know that he's only played in five games over two years and really only significant time in a couple of them because of his injury history. So if you just wanted to take the, the path of let's not talk about personality or how he fits in with a culture, this is a guy that couldn't stay on the field and was never available. So there was going to be a concern about that going in. But going back several months, I did a call segment on the radio show back in June or May, May or June, about a player who would shock, you know, would surprise most people if he's not on the roster. And I said it it would be a surprise, but watch the relationship with Geis because Geis Geis's maturity along with his injury history may be a problem with a guy that wants to change a culture. Now, again, I couldn't see this coming, didn't hear anything about this, even though there were these incidents dating back to February 14th. The first incident was February 14th. The second was March 13th, uh, 2020, which is where the, uh, the accuser says that he strangled her until she was unconscious. Um, by the way, I was reading something about strangulation or attempted strangulation that in the cases of domestic violence, there's no, there's, it's one of the biggest indicators of being capable of murder is an attempt to strangle. Um, and so this was, a, you know, this may have been this specific charge, which is a felony. He could face five years in prison if he's proven if the, if he's proven the, uh, to have done this. You know, that kind of thing in in getting to the bottom of the report with maybe a Beth Wilkinson helping out may have also accelerated their decision. But I think that they were predisposed to. This guy's got a lot to prove before he's absolutely going to be a part of our franchise moving forward. But as a standalone event, just this, they did the right thing. This organization, after that story in the Post, after what they've been as an organization, in a league where you know uh, domestic violence has been a problem for the league and now is an emphasis to address it and to address it appropriately, um, they did the right thing. And somebody may pick them up like, like Kareem Hunt got picked up. Um, but th- it wasn't for this team to wait it out. It wasn't for this no. team to wait it out. No, I, I would agree. So now... <clears throat> And you correct me if I'm wrong here. The team has one running back who has carried the ball in an NFL game, right? No, Peyton Barber's. Um, they, oh, okay. they, they signed Peyton Barber. So it's Adrian Peterson right. and Peyton Barber. And they've got J.D. McKissick, okay. too, is more of a third down back. I'm very excited okay. about Bryce Love. I have been since they drafted him. I just have no idea at all whether or not he is he's recovered – health-wise to where he was as a college player. I know what he was as a college player at Stanford. Um, whether or not he's gotten – he's been cleared, but whether or not he is back to that level after that injury, I don't know. They're obviously excited about Antonio Gibson, who could play a number of positions. But right now I would say, you know, it's Adrian Peterson and Peyton Barber as your first down backs, and maybe Bryce Love emerges as the surprise guy. Um so that would be uh, the way I think the depth chart would shake out, but uh, but guys, you know, again, there, uh, there, of course, there's a presumption of innocence in this country. Still, I think there is, <clears throat> um, but uh, I think there were a lot of issues with this young man uh, even prior to this that there that had raised concerns 
among the new group that came in in January. Probably not the old group. Let's not forget, this is a guy that Jay Gruden benched and made inactive Adrian Peterson to give Darius Geis a chance. And Geis' talent was unmistakable. I mean, that game he had at Carolina to end Ron Rivera's career as the Panthers head coach was a phenomenal display. Ten carries, 129 yards. He really is talented. There's no doubt about that. But for an organization that's trying to change a culture, um, it, it, it certainly this doesn't work, what happened on Friday. And I'm not so sure they felt it was going to be a great fit anyway. Um All right, I want to get to this Snyder story. First, though, let me tell you about Manscaped.com. Guys, are you prepared or have you been prepared to unveil that summer bod of yours? Tommy, you're getting ready to go to the beach next week. You know the beaches are opening. Uh, Manscaped is here to ensure that your post-quarantine body is ready for the wild. Manscaped is dedicated to helping you level up your full body grooming game. They have forever changed the grooming game with their Perfect Package 3.0. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 waterproof, cordless body trimmer, and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. This third-generation trimmer features skin-safe technology to reduce manscaping accidents. You don't want those to happen. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. Be sure to use their Crop Cleanser to keep your hair and skin healthy. It's an all-in-one formula, so it's as good for the healthy chest hair as it is for your skin. Inside the perfect package, you'll also find the Manscaped Crop Preserver an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer because we know how painful chafing can be when you're wearing your bathing suit all day long. That's true. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, a below-the-belt toner that's designed to give you a pep in your step and you'll smell great. Subscribe to the Perfect Package and get a new blade refill for your lawnmower trimmer delivered to your door every three months. It's an automatic replenishment system. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag, which is a $39 value, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20. That's the Athletic 20 at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code the Athletic 20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code the Athletic 20. And for a limited time, subscribers get not one but two free gifts the Shed Travel Bag and the patented high performance anti chafing Manscaped Boxer Briefs. Go to manscaped.com today and use the code THEATHLETIC20. All right, Tommy, let's get to what I think is a potential wild story in the making. Of course, it has nothing to do with what will be going on on the field for the Washington football team. Um, Rarely do these big stories have anything to do with what's going on on the field with this organization. But this is a doozy. Um, If you've been following this, 
I don't know where it goes, but where it is right now is very interesting and potentially incredible when you consider the ownership group of your Washington football team. First of all, um, let me give you sort of the chronological events of this. Dan Snyder last week um, sued a company called MEAWW. The, the, that company is Media Entertainment Arts Worldwide. They are an India-based company, and, Snyder, and Snyder filed last week in an Indian court a lawsuit against this company for publishing articles linking Dan Snyder to Jeffrey Epstein. This all goes back to the week lead up to the Post story um, about a month ago now that indicated that 15 women stepped forward uh, and alleged sexual harassment and verbal harassment by the Redskins organization. The week leading up to it, as, as most recall, Uh, included all of these wild rumors on the internet. One included a story that this media entertainment arts worldwide printed that Snyder had been linked to Jeffrey Epstein. Now, this this group uh, put out a statement saying that... um, that they acknowledged that in public, in some of their public statements, that there were factual problems with their stories, but they denied that outsiders paid for their placement. I'll get to that part in a moment. Uh, Snyder's lawyers said that media entertainment arts worldwide intentionally sowed disinformation at the behest of undisclosed clients, including governments and intelligence services, and they're often hired by clients that are cloaked behind several layers of anonymous corporate entities. This is what Snyder's lawyers allege that they do. And then they alleged that they were involved in uh, in spreading stories and internet information that included Snyder being uh, tied to Jeffrey Epstein. Now, the follow-up to that, Tommy, came yesterday when Dan Snyder accused a former team employee in a federal court of taking part in an Internet misinformation campaign against him, falsely linking him to convicted sex criminal Jeffrey Epstein and using Twitter bots that that spread unfounded rumors about Snyder abusing drugs, holding sex parties, and bribing NFL referees. Remember, those were some of the stories we heard leading up to the Post story. Here's the detail of the filing yesterday. The filing, a request for discovery in the federal district court in Alexandria, Virginia, accuses Mary Ellen Blair, a former executive assistant to Snyder, of acting as an intermediary for unnamed adversaries Snyder thinks paid an India-based online news company to publish false stories linking him to Epstein. That would be the company that I just spoke of, the media Uh, entertainment arts worldwide company. Um, This is his lawyer speaking, Joe Tacopina. Quote, we know someone's behind these slanderous and quite frankly despicable articles that were published. We need to understand who's behind this with certainty. We want our proof. Now, Mary Ellen Blair, the former executive assistant to Snyder, um, through um, her attorney, the attorney said 
that um, that her client denied that her I'm sorry denied that her client had involvement with the Epstein stories and accused Snyder of seeking to quote humiliate and intimidate his former employee the filings an obvious and inappropriate attempt to silence Miss Blair and others who may wish to communicate with legitimate news organizations about the culture of sexism harassment and abuse that has existed at the highest levels of the Washington football team for decades bullying and baselessly disparaging former employees who provide truthful information about their experience with Dan Snyder and his organization will do nothing to repair the reputation he claims in this filing to care so deeply about. Now here's the real intriguing part. Let me, before I get to this, just make sure everybody's clear. Snyder sues this media company in India for falsely uh, putting out a story that he had ties with Jeffrey Epstein. Then yesterday, in a court filing for discovery, he accuses his former executive assistant of acting as an intermediary for this India-based online news company um, and providing information to them. Now here, Tommy, is really, I think, the part that is going to become very interesting and makes it a must-follow story. Snyder's filing yesterday in court seeks documents from Mary Ellen Blair, his former executive uh, assistant, as well as from Comstock Holding Companies, a Virginia real estate company that owns rental properties where Blair, Mary Ellen Blair's former executive assistant, has lived. The filing alleges that Blair received discounted rent for years while working for, for the same unidentified people who funded what Snyder believes was an orchestrated fake news internet campaign against him. Monday's filing appears to mark an intensification between Snyder and the three minority owners of the football team over the franchise's direction. That would be, remember, Fred Smith, Bob Rothman, and Dwight Schar own roughly 40% of the organization. While his name is not mentioned in the filing, Dwight Schar, one of those minority owners seeking to sell his share of the team, is the father-in-law of Comstock Chief Executive Christopher Clement, Shar's daughter, Tracy Shar, is a senior VP at Comstock and sits on the company's board of directors. Comstock, again, being the company and the real estate company that owns rental properties that gave this Mary Ellen Blair, who worked for Snyder, who Snyder's accusing of providing disinformation to this company in, in India, discounted rent for years. Dwight Shar could not be reached to comment. Tracy Shar released a statement denying Snyder's allegations and said Blair paid the market rate for apartments that she's lived in at two Comstock properties since 2015. Quote, any insinuation that Miss Blair received special treatment for any reason is patently false. Any allegations or disparagement of Comstock is just spin designed to deflect from public reports of extremely disturbing behavior overseen by Mr. Snyder in his tenure as the majority owner of the Washington football team. Close quote. So Snyder believes, Tommy, that the source of all of these internet stories was not only Mary Ellen Blair, but 
connect the dots, as you always say. Dwight Shar, one of the minority owners. That's that's stunning. That's absolutely stunning. Uh, my impression is, and maybe you know something different, that Dwight Shar, very good friend, is Joe Gibbs. Yes, and I think have, for for many have, years. Yeah, uh, much closer than Joe Gibbs and Dan Snyder. From my understanding. Yeah, I, I think you're right about that. I think you're a hundred percent right yeah. about that. So this is uh, uh, potentially uh, huge divisive development, uh, possibly with the relationship between Gibbs and and Snyder. I that's uh, another dot connected. I mean, sticking with the dots that are in this story. Even if Dwight Shar and and Comstock weren't involved, just the quote from his daughter, where she, you know, where where she says, or the spokesperson for for uh, Dwight Shar's daughter says, any allegations or disparagement of Comstock's just been designed to deflect from the public reports of extremely disturbing behavior overseen by Mr. Snyder in his tenure as the majority owner of the Washington football team. Like, even if Comstock has nothing to do with Mary Ellen Blair or any of these internet stories, you can tell based on the daughter, the statement from the daughter, from her, the daughter's spokeswoman, that they don't like the Shars don't like Dan or anything that's happened here recently. No, no. It shows how ugly, how ugly this fallout uh, has become. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, it, it, look, if you are, again, this is a different dot. I, I know I'm going to let you take me down your path. But again, we discussed this last week. If Ron Rivera has no regrets about taking this job, then he's an idiot. I, I mean, I'm not even thinking about that part now because this is so this is so intriguing because it speaks to the conflict between the minority owners and the majority owner. It speaks to an unbelievable accusation by the majority owner that essentially leads to one of his minority owners and that relationship. I mean, uh, Ron Rivera right now, I mean, after reading, could he have read this story? You know, um, when it was uh, the Post did a good job, Will Dobson did, and I'm sure others did, and and say to his wife this morning over coffee, good God, does this ever end with this guy? It's very (laughs) possible. But at the same time, you know, Dwayne Haskins had a conference call this morning, and they've got, they're in training camp, and they've got, you know, he's into football mode right now. Tommy. Yeah, I know, but ownership, ownership signs his chest. This goes, to, this goes to when owners are squabbling and you're the coach, you got a big problem. Yeah, no, no, I know that. But he's getting paid. He, the, the checks are going to clear. It's I just, know that. I, I, I just, look, of course, you know, whatever, however you want to describe his, this is the perfect job for me and I have no regrets. That's fine. I mean, it's too late now. 
You know, and most of those people that are built and constructed like Ron Rivera, you know, may say, all right, I fucked up. We shouldn't have taken this gig, but we're here. And oh, by the way, I got some defensive talent and this Chase Young's going to be dominant the way we're going to use him. (laughs) So let's get ready to play some football. But Tommy, the whole minority owner piece of the last two months of stories has been the biggest you know, unknown. It's been the biggest question mark. You know, what is the relationship between these three minority owners and Dan? We've heard that, you know, the league doesn't want Dan to own the team. The minority owners are sick of, of what uh, Dan's been in it as an owner. And probably, and I think you said this, and it's, it's certainly a, a logical extension, is that they saw this post story coming and maybe they see more stories coming on all this stuff on the culture and they didn't want to be any part of it. At the same time, maybe, you know, this disinformation campaign was also an attempt to, to really get the league to say, this guy just can't own the team anymore. And so that the three of them could jump in and buy the majority owner out. I, I, I'm, you know, and maybe at a discount, just like Mary Ellen Blair may have gotten a discount on a rental property. (laughs) I mean, the whole thing is, you're talking now, I mean, the the filing in court for this discovery to find out where Mary Ellen Blair was funded in this effort. First of all, she hasn't been convicted of anything. She's just been accused. Um, And then to find out where, you know, who she was acting as an intermediary for. You know, if she was acting as an intermediary for the Shars or for the minority ownership of this franchise and this India company that I guess has expertise in putting out disinformation campaigns but hiding the source of that information, this would be just incredible. I mean, not not to mention the fact that, you know, that, that post story that came out still to me, it's amazing to me. And I wonder whether or not the minority owners feel the same way. When that story came out, there was a feeling in Ashburn of, whew, ah, well, that wasn't that bad. It, there, <laughs> re- there really was. I, I read to you, I read to you the letter that I, I had three people, three friends of mine who are clients of the team. Their businesses are clients or clients of the team. And I read to you the Lewis Shrek letter, right? Didn't I read that to you or not? Yeah. Yes, yes, he did. I mean, it's amazing. They actually attached the Post article and said, you know, um, there's wild stuff flying around the Internet and on social media. That stuff isn't true. What is true is the attached Post story, as if to say, you know, all that stuff about Epstein and paying off referees and, and you know, sex traffic, trafficking, that, that wasn't true. The 15 women that accused us of sexual harassment, that's true. Like, like it was a badge of honor. Like they really, like they, they dodged a bullet, you know, which of course is not true. Um, but it wasn't enough for Dan to be forced to sell the team because he wasn't, you know, implicated directly. He's pissed right now about the, look, the bottom line is the wild rumors that were going on that week. Here's the irony, Tommy. The irony is this. The wild internet speculation about Jeffrey Epstein and drugs and sex parties and bribing NFL referees actually helped Snyder and his team. 
because it set this expectation level so high of what the Post story was going to be about that the Post story, regardless of how damaging it really is as a standalone entity, it ended up falling short of what everybody thought it was. And so the team, and Snyder in particular, because he wasn't you know implicated directly, actually benefited from all of this misinformation that set it up. But now he wants to go after the people that created that misinformation that actually ended up helping him probably that week. You know, you're right. This whole bizarre uh, media uh, event, for lack of a better word, the way it unfolded, is that the story that for most organizations would have been something they would have run from for this organization, <laughs> that post story was protection. Yes. It was their shield. I know. That's so bizarre. So now, you bizarre. Know, there's a whole other part of, of this. Okay, there's a lot going on with this lawsuit, not the least of which is the lawyer for Snyder. Have you ever heard of Joe Takapina? Well, I hadn't heard of him, but obviously I read about the people that he's represented, including, you know, rapper Meek Mill and all the issues he had, you know, uh, several years back. And uh, who are uh, some of the other big clients? Well, he is the very definition of high profile. Right. You know, the, the, you know, the Post, New York Post has the page six, all the celebrities. Sure. He's a, he's a regular on page six. <laughs> okay. Uh, He's represented. He represented a Rod uh, in uh, his dispute with Major League Baseball over his suspension. Uh, he was called by the Post, New York's most hated attorney, at one point. Uh, he actually, he's a Brooklyn-born guy, real, real Italian guy. In a profile I read once of him. Uh, a private detective who worked for him said he's something out of the Godfather. He's traditional Italian, he likes his black coffee, and he likes his kids around him. And actually, early in his career, he used to represent the mafia. Oh, really? Cases. Yeah. So this, this is, this, Joe Tacopina makes this a whole another level of interesting. Oh, I, I just, he, I, I totally recognize him. I just pulled up the, the picture of him. Yeah. He, I've seen him on yeah. TV a bunch. Oh yeah, he does a lot of TV. Yeah, this is this is a high-profile lawyer, and it's it's an interesting choice uh, by by Dan Snyder. I don't know how effective he's going to be, but he's considered to be a very good lawyer. In addition to being a very outspoken and flamboyant lawyer, uh, he was a college hockey player who dabbled about ten years ago in representing uh, hockey players as an agent and got into a real pissing match with the Capitals over a hockey player he represented for the Caps named Eric Bellinger. When the Caps pulled out their last-minute offer, pulled it off the table, and he got into the pissing match with Ted and the Capitals about this. Interesting. But, uh, he, he's an interesting character. And at one point... He I owns a soccer in, team, Tommy. Yes, an Italian Italy. soccer team. Yes. Venezia yes, FC. In Italy, absolutely. Uh, he's a knight, apparently. He's a member of the Knights of San Marco. Uh, <laughs> so, 
And uh, where is the other thing? I can't find it right now. Well, I bet this is a you know an, a, an, a a a a yacht uh, friend of his from the Amalfi Coast, probably. Yes. 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 Although he he lives Absolutely. in he lives in Connecticut. Yeah, he uh, he has sued the Daily News before over articles that they've written about him. Sued them for uh, defamation, uh, and actually, according to one story. When uh, they were in court uh, uh, over Alex Rodriguez's steroid charges, and uh, the lawyer for the, the the dealer who dealed a Rod, you know, they were they were in court against each other. This guy Julio Ayala, who rep- who was one of the guys who fed a Rod his uh, his drugs, and then they had a falling out. Right. Uh, Joe Tacopina had to be stopped from brawling. With, with the lawyer, <laughs> really in, in court. So this this I'm sure Snyder loves this guy. I mean because he he's a brawler, and Julio Ayala was not the right name. I forget who it was, but it was somebody else. But Joe Tacopina is going to make this more interesting than than Beth Wilkinson. How's that? <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm sure. Um... I, I th- th- that's really interesting. I, I mean, I I knew that he was. I, I hadn't heard of him. I, I I recognize him by face. I I didn't know the name, but this is I think a new lawyer for Snyder. I don't think this guy was involved in suing season ticket holders or small newspapers like the City Paper. I don't. I don't. I've, I haven't seen him come across uh, the wire before, but uh, it will. This I tell you what. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch unfold. And here's, look, here's the downside when even if Snyder may have a leg to stand on mm-hmm. and may feel like he's empowered to do this, when you do this, you expose yourself to the discovery and the counterclaims that the other side can bring up. You really open yourself up. Right. You know, I mean, basically, they could turn around and say, well, he may not be this bad guy, but he's this bad guy, you know. You know, and, and basically create a situation where uh, that he's, you know, you can't possibly damage this guy's reputation because it's so damaged. I had heard that Fred Smith had zero interest in owning the football team. Um, I had heard that in terms of recently. It's possible that a year ago or two years ago, but with his son Arthur Smith being the OC in Tennessee, he would have been more interested in purchasing purchasing the Titans than a majority stake in the Washington football team, at least but recently. he did. At one he point, did try perhaps. to buy the football team. At, yeah. point, at one point, perhaps, yes. Now, that leaves two other owners, Bob Rothman and Dwight Schar. Well, Schar, I believe, is worth a lot more than Rothman. Um, Snyder's move here may be to convince the league that this guy doesn't deserve to own a football team either. If it's Schar that's coming for the team and hoping that Snyder is, you know, uh, gets in trouble or is found you know that that the league owners decide to to finally vote him out which you know can't happen based on that first post story as a standalone um i think i'm right about Dwight Schrum. i'm looking that up because i think that that nv uh that nvr homes thing is worth a fortune uh, so his net worth appears to be in the hundreds of millions 
Bob Rob Robert Rothman net worth. I mean, this is this is Google, and it is usually not very accurate. Um, I don't know. I can't find his. Anyway, um, my, my I don't know. I don't know what the purpose of this is. It could be just for for the press release, so that Snyder looks like he's so angry at what happened, and it may be a scare tactic for people not to do it in the future. You know, again, the irony is it probably helped them out that particular week. You know, all of these stories and the fact that they weren't true and they weren't included in the post story. Um, but I don't, I don't see Takapina wasting his time with just a publicity okay. uh, thing. Uh, so uh, I think this will move forward. Like I said, the danger moving forward is the other side. It's going to it's going to do everything they can to reveal the the negatives about Dan Snyder. Right. And uh, it, it's it's always a, I mean it's it's always the caution when you, when you sue is the word discovery. Uh, you better make sure your house is clean. Yeah, F- interesting story though, don't you think? I mean, the, I mean, with, oh, without I, without the Dwight Char piece, it almost looks like, dude, wh- why are you wasting your time? You know, like a city paper thing. Why are you wasting your time going, you know, going after some India-based company that you know put out some bots and put out some false stories about you it's the fact that those stories the source of those stories could trace back to one of his minority owners that is really makes it very interesting um uh so we'll see how uh obviously that plays out we'll get to college football and the gnats and the caps uh talk about that briefly here in a moment but first a quick word from indochino All right, let's finish up with some Caps, Nats, and a little bit of college football. Start with the Caps, Tommy, who are the three seed in the Eastern Conference. And tomorrow they've got the first game of a best of seven against the Islanders and Barry Trotz. I had Joe B. on the show this morning, Joe Beninati, and um, we talked about the series and we previewed the series. But I think that the the big storyline here, right, is – Trots against his former team. Trots, who won a series last year in the postseason when they took out the Penguins in four games before losing in the second round. And Todd Reardon, who lost his only playoff series last year in the first round to Carolina and now is in a matchup with Barry Trotz. I asked Joe, is there a lot of pressure on Reardon to beat Trotz? And basically what he said is there's probably a lot of pressure on Reardon just to win a playoff series. But it is an odd setting for a playoff series. It doesn't feel like it necessarily. But this is an interesting storyline, maybe the biggest storyline in the in the quarterfinal round in the Eastern Conference, Barry Trotz, uh, the Stanley Cup winning coach in Washington against his – uh, against his former team, it, it, this is this is a big deal. Barry Trotz, his success and departure will hang over this team until Todd Reardon has a track record of playoff success. Uh, not only did they lose in the first round to Carolina last year, they looked bad doing it. Yeah, and he was out coached. Uh, well, and, and they yeah. just look terrible doing you, it. You don't know that he was outcoached. 
Yes, I do. I do know he was out. Okay. If I can, if I know he was outcoached, uh, then he was really outcoached. What do you think he should have done, you know, to not be outcoached? All right, well, I'm not... how about not having not having his star player all coked up? Well, that's that? I don't think he did that on purpose. Old Co- no, old Koozie did. did that on his own. No, but uh, basically for trots, I, I I think that yeah, I think that this would go a long way, even though. In, in this kind of bizarre truncated season, and now we're in these playoffs, I think a win over Barry Trotz would be much more would be very valuable for Todd Reard moving forward, both in the locker room and outside in, in, within the Caps uh, fan base. Do you think Ted think would fire him it, if he loses? No, no. I think this. Look, anyone who gets fired this year, coming off what happened this year, yeah, I agree seems kind of foolish. I agree with that. I mean, you, it's hard to make judgments on people, basically what we're going through now and trying to adjust to that. I mean, basically, I think what you need to do is any success you get out of this is gravy and any failures you chalk up to the, the coronavirus era and you move on to the next season. So I don't think his job is in jeopardy, but I think he would he would quiet a lot of fears if his team could beat Barry Trotz's team. Yeah, I I, I think that's true. You know, um, I was thinking about something, and I sort of came to it during my conversation with Joe Beninati this morning, and it was this. You know, the Caps just played this round-robin um, format, you know, to determine seeding, which really is not very important because there's no home ice advantage in Toronto, um, in the, in the bubble city. And, you know, Joe essentially, um, you know, implied that they were going at like 70%. Like they haven't ramped up, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't taken as seriously as obviously the postseason will be now. Right. And at the same time, the Islanders were playing a play in best of five series against Florida. They won that three games to one. And I was thinking, you know, there's gambling wise, if you take the team that played in the first four in recent years in the NCAA tournament, you know, played on Tuesday or Thursday night, uh, to, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday night, and then played Thursday, Friday, and they had the intensity of a winner go home game, you know, on that Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm not talking about the 16 seeds. I'm talking about in recent years, where as part of the first four, we've gotten, you know, two 12 seeds to advance, you know, to face a five seed, or two 13s to face a four, or two 11s to face a six. Anyway, the point is that the team that just played this high intense, you know, winner go home has really gotten into the feel and the intensity and the pressure of these games and the team that they're playing even though that team had rest and is higher seated it takes a while for that team to adjust to win or go home and the pressure of it the other team just got to win and that we've seen a lot of upsets with that team that played on Tuesday or Wednesday night in recent years. Again, not the 16 seeds. I'm not talking about them. Um, I'm talking about the other teams. And, you know, the wild card teams in the NFL, you know, not only pull off big wins, but many times are really competitive and have a chance to win on the road against the team that had the first round bye. That's not unusual either. My point is, is that the Caps, you know, basically just coasted at 70% 
not very serious, not really caring about the results. I mean, Ovechkin didn't even put a point up in any of these games. Uh, Carlson didn't play. They need to get him back. And they're going to play the Islanders, who just came off an intense five-game series. Actually, it went four. They went three games to one. And for me, I think that means tomorrow afternoon, shortly before 3 p.m., Maybe not in a series because this isn't a one-and-done. It's a best-of-seven. But I may have a nice little wager on the Islanders in game one um, <laughs> to, to get off to a better start because they've played in meaningful games. And the Caps, it's been since, I mean, really almost since March since they played in a meaningful game. Yes. Yes, it has. So, it, it has. something to and, keep and, an eye on. And, and I, I think that that does come into play. Uh, with hockey, look, George uh, George McPhee talked about the momentum. You know, I asked George McPhee once. I thought that the, the uh, I think it was 2012, the Dale Hunter team had their best chance of making it to the Stanley Cup Finals of all his teams. Uh, but he said the first one uh, that made it to the Stanley Cups with Ovechkin. Uh, that took the uh, Flyers to seven games. Yeah, right. That was the one that Bruce Boudreaux took over in November, and they went on a tremendous tear the rest of the year going into the postseason. He said he thought that team, if they had gotten past the Flyers, had a chance to go on to win the Stanley Cup, and it was because of the momentum they had, because yeah. of, of, of how they were playing and their momentum. They didn't win that series, though. And then the next year no, they, they lost, lost to the Penguins in Game 7. Yeah. And um, and it took until old Trotsy got here for them for them to win the whole thing. And then they said goodbye to Trotsy. Uh, I, I think I mentioned this to you last week. I've actually enjoyed the hockey that I've watched. I found it to be much more... Realistic now, you know. I think I pointed this out that these are meaningful games. Some of these playoff games, I watched some of the Penguins Canadian series, and it felt very intense. Like you know, a couple of the the games here that have been on NBC Sports Network or or on NBC have gone to overtime. And hockey playoff overtime is so thrilling. And even though there aren't fans there, you can still feel the intensity um, in watching it. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing. This NHL postseason now into its you know final eight teams each conference best of sevens um, in a bubble city where they've had you know it's it's worked. I mean the Toronto Edmonton things worked and the the NBA thing in Orlando has worked. Um, yeah, so I, you know it, it's not going to surprise me if we get a Stanley Cup champion and if we get an NBA champion here over the next couple of months. I mean these playoffs and these sports we know take forever. You know, they take, you know, two months to play out. Um, but uh, you're going to have nothing but in the NHL and starting next week in the NBA, nothing but real, meaningful playoff games. In baseball, you haven't seen that. And then in baseball, you've also had the issue, obviously, with the Cardinals and the Marlins in particular, of all of these interruptions and postponements, etc. cetera. Um, speaking of that, um, did you see the shot Soto hit last night? Yes. Oh, my God. Sure. <laughs> There's a quote from him in the post-game uh, interview where he says, you know, he likes to watch his home run, but running the bases gets in the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, that that the four hundred and sixty three foot estimated according to Statcast, I think Statscast um, is the longest home run of his sh- very short career. Um, he crushed that. And then the professional hitter is Drupal Cabrera, who went four for four with two doubles and two homers against his former team. That guy flat out just gets hits. I'm I'm trying I'm I'm pulling it up now. I want to see what he's actually hitting so far in what is it, twelve games? I think they're five and seven. Cabrera is hitting three fifty seven um right yeah. now through twelve games. He played first base for just the fifth time in his career. They had a crazy infield. I don't know if you saw that. You know, they had Cabrera at first, uh, Castro was at second, Defoe, uh, I mean, Turner was at short, and then they had Keyboom um, at third. So Cabrera was in there but playing first base, which, I don't know, is that the first time he's done it with the Nats? It said in the game story that it's only the fifth time in his career that he's played first. But they need his bat in the lineup. I think he's done it before with the Nats. Yes, okay. they do. They absolutely need him to get in there. They needed to win that game. Yeah, I mean, they, they're on the after ver- getting pummeled by the Orioles oh, and then God. having that that uh, that uh, tarp tarp issue canceling their their final game uh, with with the Orioles in that series. They needed that game last last night. Well, more likely than not, the, the Orioles are going to come. I mean, they're up five to two with two runners on and one out in the sixth inning. Up five to two, and when they when they finish that game at Camden Yards on Friday night, that's probably going to be a loss for the Nats. I mean, it might not be, but yes. um, and so really they're five and seven right now, but they're more likely than not five and eight. And um, you know, even with the expanded playoff format, which by the way, the Major League Baseball is considering bubble cities for that. I don't know if you saw that story for the postseason. Yeah, um, two to three cities in particular. Uh, but you know, um, the Nats, I mean, it's odd. Like the Cardinals have not played now for, I think over a week, they've only got five games in total played. And some teams have as many as 18 games played. So, you know, there's no way the Cardinals are going to be able to make up all of these games. I don't know what the solution is. Now, the Nationals make up games with the Marlins because they are playing the Marlins in their division are going to be easy to get, you know, seven-inning doubleheaders with several of their scheduled nine-inning games. And that's what the plan is, to make up those games lost. But I don't know how the Cardinals make up these games. I don't know how either. I think they're just going to... They're just going to say, whoops, you know. Look, I just read something uh, very, very, very uh, depressing about what's coming, particularly starting in October. Oh, boy. So, uh, you know, Go I mean, lay I, it, still, lay I still it on think. Me. No, 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 no. I, I don't want to. I don't even want to discuss it now. Uh, but. Uh, what? Tell I me. It's, it's any, a, the, the I, wave two. It's a wave two story. Yeah. Just yeah, tell me. I mean, but, but I, I'd have to find it. You know, just well, to say it was—it was not encouraging news from mm-hmm. a credible news source. You know, so uh, I still think the calendar's working again. Difference of opinion sports. on credible news sources. Yeah, I know that you wouldn't. <laughs> you, you're not too sure sometimes of what a credible news source. You're is. damn right. I am. I don't believe our. I don't believe many of them anymore from either side. Um. <laughs> You know, this college football thing, Tommy, is – and 
we're sitting here because I, I was thinking that by the time we did the podcast, and it's 1130 now, um, we, we started it a little bit later, I, I was thinking we would have some college football news. The Big Ten was supposedly meeting this morning. I did have Mark Schlebaugh on the show this morning, and he wrote a very interesting story about uh, yesterday um, about the heart condition that they're discovering from people who have tested positive for the virus and that this was a major alarm for um uh for uh for college football yesterday the it's myocarditis which is an inflammation of the heart muscle it creates an enlarged heart muscle and there were i think five big 10 athletes um that it was found in and these were potentially athletes that had tested positive for COVID-19. To make a long story short, the possibility that you can test positive and be asymptomatic or even be symptomatic but not get sick and then you know have a condition off of that infection that puts you at significant risk, like a heart attack, um, really scared college football the last 48 hours. And what we saw was a crazy day yesterday where there were moments in which you thought college football was just going to be completely shut down. And then the players rallied together with a lot of coaches and went on a social media crusade to try to convince you know school presidents and ADs that they want to play and that they'll be safer in an environment where they're tested all the time and they've got uh, more easy access to medical attention than they would at home. And so you had leagues sort of rethinking their position yesterday, especially when you when you got into the, the Schleybach story on the um, myocarditis. Um, this is a condition that's caused by a lot of different viral infections. You know, the common cold can cause that. Mono can cause it. Uh, H1N1 influenza can cause it. And it is a, it can, left un- undiagnosed it can, and untreated, it can be a very serious thing. It can cause heart damage. It can c- cause sudden cardiac arrest. But what's ironic, and I talked to Mark about this, is the testing for COVID-19 is revealing this, whereas it may have been there because they had a cold last year or they had the flu last year, but it's the COVID-19 positive test that's actually revealing that they've got this underlying condition, which now they can be treated for and kept out of you know, um, heavy exercise, which is a risk when you have it. I, I don't know what the answer is here. I-, I have no idea what the answer is here. I My guess is the SEC is going to try to play football this year. And that the Big 12 and maybe even the ACC are going to try to play football. But that the Big 10 and the Pac-12 in particular of the Power 5 are going to end up with a decision. And it hasn't come out. They, you know, they, they're, they're meeting this morning. I bet that they delay this thing till the end of September and then you know, come back to it in early September to, to determine whether or not they're going to have a season. But well, It's not going to look better the end of September. Well, it's not going to look better then. Well, what you would have potentially is a couple of weeks of other conferences playing, right? To you know, to learn from you would have more of the end. You'd have uh, yeah, but what a couple of weeks September of the NFL. Not what what happens in September is not going to be what happens in November. I understand that time. We 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 think it won't be. We don't know for sure. Cold and flu season. Uh huh. Where Al 
outdoor freedoms wind up becoming diminished, and people have to, if they want to congregate, wind up going back indoors mm-hmm. as the weather gets colder. Well, only you retreat indoors when the weather gets colder. I enjoy the cold. I like being out in the cold. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being sarcastic there, but I, I, I think we're not sure about any of this shit right now. I mean, I read this story two weeks ago, and maybe it's been updated, and this could be completely an outdated thing, that the um, the flu season in the southern hemisphere has been insignificant compared to recent years for some reason, and that that would be a help here if we don't have nearly as much of a regular influenza season. Um, and at the same time, by the time we get into the winter, who knows? We might have more meds, or we might have vaccines. Vaccines, plural. I talked to my CDC neighbor. Uh, Sunday morning, he was walking the dog. I was out, you know, in the front yard and he thinks there are going to be multiple vaccine opportunities by early next year. You know, whether or not they'll all be home runs, but there are going to be several options there. Well, I read, I mean, Fauci said, you know, even if there's a 50% success rate, they're, they're going to be out there. Yeah, because, of course, a 50% success yeah. rate in the vaccine would make 50% of the people yeah. who were vulnerable to infection to not being vulnerable to infection. Yeah, I mean, we know, we know the flu vaccine. It, 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 sure. It, it's not a, I mean, I've gotten the flu when I've had the flu vaccine. Right. So it, it happens. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, you know, but, uh, yeah, I'd like it to be a little bit more than 50%, but even if it's 50%, it'll be out there. Heather Dinich, who you know covers college football for ESPN, still reporting here as of moments ago that the Big Ten's still meeting and that um, what they're considering is either a postponement of the season until spring or a pushing back the start of the season to September 26th. Um, it's, uh, I did find it very interesting yesterday about how the players really came together with some coaches and said, no, we want to play because we think it's safer for us to be in an environment in college with testing and with access. Think about a lot of these college football players. Being at home may be more of a risk than being at college. And certainly the access to medical attention for many of these young people um, is it, it, the access is much greater on a college campus where all of their medicals taken care of than potentially at home where they live. Uh, you know, well, uh, you know, you know what? I can't tell you how good that makes me feel as I wait for my 11th day <laughs> to get my test. Yeah. For COVID. I, I, I'm so glad that college football players would right. have such great access to testing. You know, it makes um, me so happy. The other thing, real quickly, Tommy, that, that Schlebaugh was explaining, he's like, you know, um, the impact on college sports from this will be so significant and, and potentially so irreversible. You know, football carries the freight for everything. Football is so critical to so many universities around this country. And it's not just athletic departments, but it's also the entirety of the school in terms of the revenue that it generates. Now, I read Sally's column the other day. I don't know if you did it or not. I think she did a really good job of, of steering clear of like making the case that players should be paid and focusing much more on what should be focused on now. Before you ever get to paying players, you've got to cut out the cost excesses. 
you know, the assistant coaches being paid $3 million a year, the ridiculous, you know, luxurious uh, locker rooms and training facilities and trips that they get to go on, all of the excess of college sports, which can easily be cut out without impacting the product. Because once you shave that away, then you've got a real cost number, and now you can really figure out whether or not you can actually afford to pay players, which I'm telling you, mentioned this many times over the years, most schools you can't because most schools don't make money in their athletic department. Now, a lot do. He actually um, pointed something out that I did not know. He said Barry Alvarez, the athletic director, former football coach at the University of Wisconsin, runs the best athletic department in the country and that they have the biggest surplus of any school and there's no school better prepared for a rainy day like we're in right now than the University of Wisconsin. Now, I know they're a Big Ten school, but I would have guessed Texas or Ohio State, you know, or Alabama. You know, Wisconsin's a powerful football program, don't get me wrong. But he said he's done such a great job at managing costs. And that's why he's lost some coaches, including Brett Bielma, who left there. Um, for Arkansas, if you recall, because Alvarez wouldn't pay him what the, what the going rate was. Um, but I like the Sally article because it focused on you got to get all this excess out, and then we can look at everything else. But anyway, back to what what um, what uh, uh, Schlebot told me this morning. He's like, look, a lot of these sports in colleges where kids get scholarships or partial scholarships, a lot of Title IX stuff. You know, you're just you're not. It's going to be gone for good. Now, the Title IX stuff is going to be really interesting, right? Because it's law. And if you do play football and you do play men's basketball, you're going to have to play you know, women's basketball more likely than yeah. not. But it, 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 what football generates for 90% of the big-time sports schools and 10% of them are basketball-first schools. And he said, you know, other than the Dukes and the Maryland's and the the true basketball first schools, football just it pays the way for everything, and it's just gonna it's going to impact not only schools and athletic departments and the, the so many of these sports will no longer exist, which means means there won't be scholarship opportunities for kids that play you know non uh, revenue generating sports. Um, not to mention, as he and I talked about, the impact economically on so many of these college towns that literally th- rely on and live on six to seven home weekends a year. Oh, yeah. Well, look, I mean, the, the haircuts, everyone is taking an enormous haircut and the, and the hair may not grow back. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, really. I mean, I mean, it's just stunning how many, I mean, uh, you know, if and when uh, things do are safe enough to go back to normal, will there be a tremendous race, a tremendous surge, or will there have been so much damage? that it will be a slow return. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't yeah. know. But college sports as we once knew them um, could be altered forever. Um, really could. And, you know, college football, Tommy, is a $4.2 billion top-line business. $4.2 4. Now, college sports in total, 
you know, and obviously the NCAA tournament has a lot to do with this, is like, you know, 10 to 12 billion somewhere in that area. But football's 4.2 billion. But that doesn't, again, that, that doesn't even factor in the economic benefits for all of these college towns. Um, that live on people booking hotel rooms for weekends at ridiculous rates um, for weekends of home games and the restaurants and the bars and everything. Um, but, uh, but yeah, um, I don't know. There's a lot at stake here, but, you know, there's a lot at stake health-wise too. I, I, I just don't yeah. know. I don't know what the answer is. I, st- I don't know how anybody can definitively know what the answer is. There is something that makes sense to me about college students and college football players perhaps having a better chance to stay healthy in a college bubble environment if they could create one. But, um, but I don't know how you do that and then also play games. Anyway, yeah. what else you got? That's all I got today, boss. All right, tomorrow I will be here. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Dwayne Haskins uh, on tomorrow's show. Don't forget, if you've been thinking about Windows, Window Nation is the place to go get them. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Mention my name. 50% off, free estimates, no risk. Give Window Nation a shot. All right, Tommy, I'll talk to you on Thursday. Okay.